Hey, it's Matthew. You're listening to a special edition of the Flux Pod. I have a special guest on this one, uh, Will Chef. You might know from the band Ockerville River. He has a new solo record out uh, this week, uh, coming out on the 7th of October, called Nothing Special. It's his first solo album, which is kind of a weird thing, and we'll get into it right away about why that's kind of weird, since he's always been the primary author of uh, Ockerville River. But uh, Will is an incredibly thoughtful and cool guy. Uh, just love talking to him. I had met him once before at a party a long time ago, just chatted with him for like it's like a solid 40, just uh, just a terrific uh, conversationalist. Uh, we get in some deep places here. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy it, whether you're into Will or Will's music or not. Uh, but I do recommend the record, Nothing Special. Some great stuff on it, some great stuff through his catalog. We'll talk a bit about that, too. But uh, here we go. This is Will Chef on the Flux Pod. Here we go. Will, can you tell people who you are and what you do? Yeah, uh, I'm Will Chef, and in 1998, I started a band with my high school friends called Ockerville River, and um, we kind of stumbled and bumbled along for several years, and then my high school friends were like, this is not really working out, so they kind of took off. Some other new friends came in. We... Um, you know, we got we got bigger. We did a lot of different records through the years. The old friends departed in a bunch of different ways, and new old friends came in. They departed one by one in a bunch of different ways, and um, then some new friends came in. And eventually, I was making an album with my new friends, and they said to me, "Hey, man, why don't you just call this Will Chef, man? This is what you've been trying to build towards, and you've been doing this thing now for two decades plus. So, um, don't you think it's time to?" let go of the charade that this is still the same group of your buddies from high school in 1998. So I just uh, put out, or I'm about to put out an album under my own name. So what does Ockerville River mean to you? Is it just kind of like the past now? Or, I mean, when you look at a record like this, which I think is your 10th proper record, do you think of it as your 10th yeah. album or is this the new first album? <sighs> Well, those are kind of two different questions, I guess. Like, what yeah, is I, should, I think River I just kind of shot two in a row. <laughs> yeah, what, what does Ockerville River mean to me is like an incredibly nebulous question that I could answer like in ten different ways. It's kind of like, um, you know, at least ten different ways. And does this feel like my first record or feel like my um, tenth record? I feel like I could answer in two different ways <laughs> and they're pretty well, obvious. Do you do both of them? <laughs> yeah. So Ockerville river. Well, it's so funny, man, because I think Ockerville river means a lot of different things to people who aren't me, you know, like you could um, talk to somebody who would say, Ockerville River is this band that put out this album called Black Sheep Boy and it was really like folky and sad and it made me cry and I, you know, me and my college girlfriend used to listen to it a lot in 2005 and it really was emotional to me and it's, they're kind of folky and, and I think they're from Texas, you know, and then you could ask somebody else and they would say, yeah, Ockerville River is this like sort of like smart, like party, like 
like they had these like fun kind of meta um songs about like artists and pop culture and like there it was like this shaggy haired drummer guy who looked like animal from the muppets and this like nork dorky nerdy guy in the front and this like handsome bassist guy and they just seemed like they were really drunk on stage and like me and my bros used to go stand in the front row like we'd go see the hold steady and then the next day we'd go see aqua river and we'd have our beers up in the air and you know whatever and then like there's somebody else who might be like Aquaville River, you know, did this really sort of folky record in 2016. And it was like, really, uh, I didn't get into it. You know? <laughs> um, it feels like all of these people have this different, um, this different concept maybe of who we are. And, and meanwhile, sort of, I'm like the, I'm the only person who remembers all of the different, things that it's been and i can't even remember them all you know like ockerville river is an arbitrary two fairly arbitrary words it was a short story that i had read in college and when when i was with my high school buddies and we were trying to come up with a name i tossed it out there and they liked that name particularly probably also because every other idea we'd come up with in that session was terrible um and they just outvoted me and decided that was going to be the name. I immediately tried to get them to, um, to, to relent because I realized that it was like hard to spell. It sounded like a country band, but I was like literally outvoted um, by these two friends of mine who aren't even in, you know, they haven't been in the band since 2000 or something like that. 2002, I guess is the when 2001, 2002. Um, so, you know, it's, it's this thing that like at one point it was like an outgrowth of camaraderie with my friends at one point, at certain points it's been an outlet for like this crazy ambition that I had that sometimes was like over the top and annoying to everyone, including me. It's been, you know, and then it, more recently it's become this like bag that I'm trying to put everything into because it's this brand that I've become the custodian of that, you know, everybody else projects something to, to whatever extent anybody even knows who we are. They project something different on it that doesn't even really have that much to do with my full experience of it. So, you know, I like will get really, really into like devotional music or I'll get really, really into like ECM sort of ambient jazz. And I'll like, I'll want to put it into the, the only bag that I have the Ockerville river bag. And every time I do it, I can feel, I feel like I'm like, I have to like sell people on some new thing. I feel like the guy who, you know, um, was listening to black sheep boy with his, his college girlfriend still wants me to be like a broken hearted 27 year old. And I feel like the guy who, um, would go and listen to us be ridiculous on stage still wants me to be drunk, you know? And like, it's just, it started to feel like this really constricting thing. And I think that that's sort of why um, I decided to pack it in, you know, for the, for the foreseeable future. As you were saying before, you have like these kind of previous inflection points where the lineup changed. Uh, I think Away was probably one of those mm -hmm. where you had like, like both musically and you had different 
basically a different band. Like what kept you from changing the name at that point? Was it mostly just kind of like people in the record industry being like, hey, you got to keep your brand? Dude, that's what it was. And it's like, I hate admitting that. Like, I, it makes it me sound... happens to all these people, though. Yeah, I know. I, I, it's just, it's like, I wish there was a more romantic... And at the time, I, I actually tried to sell it as more of my own, you know... I had some rationale for it. But the reality was that everyone told me that I shouldn't do it. I mean, Away wasn't even conceived as an Ockerville River album. You know, like... Away was 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 like something I urgently had to do. I had to do it. You know, I, I more so than so many records. Um, at, at least since Black Sheep Boy, I had this feeling of like I'm going to die if I don't do this, right? And it was not intended to be Ockerville River. And then I felt really, really proud of it. And I don't want to name anybody's name, but like basically, it was everybody that I worked with. All the cooler heads were telling me, you know, dude, nobody, you're not going to get any. You're not going to get those festival dates you're looking for. You're not going to get that late night slot. You know, people aren't going to know about They're this. showing you the charts and what happened to other people, I'm sure. Yeah. And also as a person who is like, and I don't mean to play a teeny violin for myself. Like I am a happy camper. I'm, I, I got the, this job that is like my, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. But, you know, one of the trade-offs is like, I don't have any money. You know, I, I haven't had money for decades. So it's like, this brand that I have is the most valuable thing I own. So you can understand why I I felt like I had to like put everything on it all the time, even though it was becoming increasingly frustrating from a creative standpoint. So yeah, I just thought, um, and you know, I'll tell you what, that away was an interesting thing because away, I knew that away was good. Like, like it was one of the first times in a really long time that I was like, uh, I didn't need any like validation, you know what I mean? To feel like this is like, I don't know even good is, is what I mean to say. I guess what I mean to say is like, I had this thing that I needed to do and say, and I knew that I'd done and said it. And what was that basically? Cause I, I like the record a lot. And like my, my favorite of your songs, uh, Mary on a wave is on that. And I, I that one, mm. just, there's a certain peacefulness to that record that I, I, I really respond to. I yeah, remember like, thank that particular you. song being like very valuable to me in a very, very stressful moment. Well, they picked poor Robin clean in the shadow ravine. I've seen the bones, I've seen his teeth. Well, it's scar upon the streets, our enemy's victory is complete. And they'll be coming to collect within the next few hundred weeks. I get a loose off shiver in my shoulder Cause I think there's someone watching I get a little soft whistle in my ears now But I guess it's just time passing so funny that you say that because that was what that album was partially was what it was intended to be i wanted it to be like a refuge 
you know. Um, and I feel that way about this new one too. I wanted it to feel like it was a place you could go and and collect yourself. You yeah, know what song, I mean? The song Holy Man kind of has a very similar kind of feeling to it. That kind of like yes. a uh, kind of drony quality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with a lot of the time with this new record, I, I one of the first things I said, even before I, the cover idea, I just kept saying to people, this this new album, and I'll get back to away in a second, but this new album, like a lot of the time in the past, I'd have some like reference point. I'd be like, yeah, it's like I'm trying to do something that kind of sounds like Shuggy Otis, but isn't, or like kind of sounds like um, it's from the early 70s or kind of something that's like, feels like it's like related to like girl groups and like rock and roll, like 60s rock and roll. This album, I didn't have any like reference points, you know, and when people would want to get direction i would I, I would say like just like imagine that you're looking at a huge mountain you know like that was like this and that was not like an intellectual thing it was just like what i felt about it i felt like if you're like standing on the other side of a river and you're in a, a glade of trees and you're looking at a really giant mountain that was just like the thing i that was my influence you know yeah there's it. a I definitely pick up on the nature part of it, but also like there's a humility. I think that's yes. probably part of what I was connecting to in Mariana Wave specifically is there is this kind of, you know, it's kind of a deep breath, you know, it's a, some resignation, yeah. you know? Well, for me, I think a lot of that was um, that I grew up in a very rural setting and my playgrounds, my playgrounds were all the woods. And I was a very, I was very in my head and I had a very mystical conception of the world that was pretty influenced also by like being raised Catholic. And so I think that, um, and then when I discovered folk music um, which is to say, like, weirdly, I got super into the Incredible String Band, which is like weird psychedelic elf rock from the 60s that I still love so much. And then I kind of was like, well, they're from Scotland. So I got to listen to a lot of music from like Scotland and Ireland. And so I got into like traditional music from there. And I don't know if it was like my Celtic Cornwall heritage or something like and 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 the landscape of new england all kind of like brewing around in me but i think that one of the things about away that is also very strongly present on this album was that was was some kind of going back to a nature spirituality going back to um a young feeling of like belonging in nature that was like interwoven with spirituality um, and those sounds and the, and the woodiness and people playing things by hand and not, not in a purest um, sort of like anti-electronic way, but more in just like, there's something really deep and powerful to me personally about like the physicality of someone like wrestling with an acoustic instrument, you know, mm -hmm. like the, the wood and the string and the air and the muscles and like, you know, the finger squeaks and all of the like that um, to me, it's just a very soul nourishing thing. And I think maybe that was what I needed at the time. Cause I had gone through 
um, a sort of a meteoric rise and got, and then I'd gone through a lot of difficult stuff with like dear, dear friends sort of leaving the orbit. And I'd gone through like, like a party phase, a, a very Brooklyn-y party phase. And like, I'd gone through like a lot of dread and unhappiness. And I just think that I was in this place where like I was battered and I needed to like, I needed to um, recover myself. And, and also like, this is the kind of thing that gets boiled down into cliches. And it's like the most ridiculous <laughs> cliche of the music business, you know, that I guess goes back to like Bon Iver, but like, it really is true. My friend um, had bought a house. She bought a little cottage up in, um, you know, in the Catskills. And she was like, dude, I'm never able to go there, go there. So like I would just literally got out of town all, all the time. And so a lot of that too was like after 10 years of living in New York city in Brooklyn, where you don't have any space and you're constantly being sort of beset by everything around you. Just the thing of like being in nature again. I think that was like really, yeah. um, really huge for me. And, and in a lot of ways, I think that is, that's the moment I probably should have been Will Chef. And in the Rainbow Rain, which I'm also very proud of, but I think that was an attempt to sort of like square the two, like reconcile the two things, like reconcile the away music and the other strains of, of Ockerville, which the classic I, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's an act of self-presentation. You know what I mean? Like, see, look, this is the classic will. I mean, I even, um, nobody ever noticed this, but there are moments on in the rainbow rain where I was like, almost as a joke to myself, I would be like, look, it's an Ockerville river thing. You know what I mean? Like I would do these things that like, I knew people liked from previous records, even to the point where at the end of love, somebody I put in the end of black at the end of it. Like there's, there's this sort of synth ending and I, it's the exact same synth as the end of black. I just like literally took the end of black and I put it at the end of love somebody and that was kind of like my way of being like, see, because <laughs> I felt like this really strong pressure of everybody. And and, and I'll tell you, Ma Matthew, I, I fucking hate admitting this shit because it's so embarrassing. But like, yeah, I'd read my press, man. And I would read some bro being like, well, they were never the same after 2000 and whatever, you know, and this is the ingredients of a classic. People, people would go, this is the ingredients of a classic Ockerville River track. It has to have like an orchestra and it has to be about like, you know, some porn star or like some character and like it hits a crescendo and it, you know, all this stuff. So I, I would start to be like, um, and every time I would put some other thing out, it was like before, um, before anybody had even listened to it, they'd be like, I'm going to pass, you know, they, they haven't had these ingredients in the last it two hours. It seems albums. hard not to resent that, right? Oh yeah. It's I like, oh, resent this is who you are, this is who you have this remain um so it was i think like any kind of long-term artist they kind of have to reckon with this in some way but it also seems the other thing as you're kind of saying just now is like there are times where you have to kind of come to the audience like hey it's still me you know yeah
there's this thing that happens every time I have to promote a record where like people ask me what what it's about and then I like tell them honestly and it's always kind of complicated because emotions are complicated and nothing is one factor and then you start to see the 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 um the reviews and the articles and the features and it's never like any one person's fault it's just the cumulative everythingness is it just gets kind of reduced to this cartoon and by the end you're like you're you're reading this like fucking oversimplified fictional account of like actually maybe one of the most important things that happened to you in five years <laughs> you know because like you'll put this stuff into your life into um your album that is like you're not it's not for consumption necessarily i mean you are going to put it out but it's really you like grappling with this like really deep shit and then it just kind of gets turned into this cartoon of itself and and also at the end of the day like my deep shit like my sad stuff is not more important or more epic or more awesome than your sad stuff you know, and so I always feel a little bit like a fraud. Like I'm like, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm sad because something happened to me and it it's really important. Everybody should know about it. <laughs> it's like, no, I mean, it's just I'm living my life. And just like you, like some sad shit happened to me. But but, you know, when I'm when I'm on the other side of it, right, like I think about a record like Joni Mitchell's like Blue. And I know she was like going through like a really psychologically difficult time and you know, she felt like completely exposed emotionally and like it was really agonizing. And like, I like to project that on that record when I think about it. It's all it's all kind of predicated on this idea of Joni being this like almost archetypal super Dylan going electric, you know, pick your like moment. It's you it's all like. We turn these people into archetypes and we get really like excited about like these stories about them, but like it's all like pretty fucking narcissistic to be on the other end of it to like to, to yeah. for me to, to like demand that you care that like, I'm sad that my friend died or like that. I stopped. Drinking. I think there's, another, you know what I mean? Like, like, like who cares, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. But there's also like so much music that people like and they enjoy, but they don't really know anything of the people who made it. And it doesn't like their personal narrative doesn't have to be part of it. So it seems like being caught into this the version of it where you know well this is this will be interesting to you if we tell you about will's life in the past few years you know like yeah music doesn't really operate in that way um but it does become part of how it's written about for sure well i mean it's it's really human i don't mean to make it sound like it's like you're a philistine for caring about that stuff i do it every single time i hear any new artist that i haven't heard i'm immediately like what's the story you know like just tell me any little nugget and suddenly it gets better. You know, it's funny. It's like, if you play me some song and you're like, yeah, this is a song by like some guy who like drank himself to death right after he made this record, he threw himself off a bridge and like, you know, he was abducted by aliens and he like, yeah. he the music was, starts backfilling that story. Yeah. And, and I'm like, Oh, ooh, Hey, all right. But then if you're like, just kidding. This was made by like a trust fund kid in Williamsburg, like last year. Last year. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm like, ah, I hate it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's it's very human. It's we just like we make these narratives, and I guess like to me, I guess the most the most 
I, I, I tell people what the albums are about because they ask me and I do interviews because I want people to hear the music. And ultimately, I guess what I really hope is that if I talk about something sad and personal in this is that like, if an actual fan who really takes the music's heart um, has gone through, actually it doesn't have to be something similar, but, but like if my music finds any receptor in them that is like helpful for something, whether it is like something painful and difficult to process or whether it's just like, yeah, this song makes me want to dance. Like then, you know, that's really, that's, that's the hope is that, you know, that's the connection that I can make. And, you know, so hearing, and I'm, I'm so glad you said that about Mariana wave, because that's like one of my favorite songs I've written. And I'm not always sure that it's connected with people in the same way. And I do think maybe a way was a, was a template for, this album um, and maybe a template for the last two even, but especially for this one. Yeah. It, I mean, it seems like a, a clear turning point one way or another. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that this is maybe me trying to, con- to finish the turn, you know? Yeah. So when you play this stuff live, I'm not sure if you have played it yet. Um, like, do you plan on like integrating these past Ockerville River songs or like, or is this kind of a point where you can be like, okay, I can put that aside. I can just go straight forward. What do you think I'm I should curious do? curious when artists kind of have to I haven't played it live and, and I've been thinking about this a lot and I, I know what I, I know what I want, I think, but I also like don't want to, um, I want audiences to be happy. And so I've been like thinking about this a lot. What do you think I should do? I think it is good to play some older songs. I don't think you need to play a ton of them. I think playing the ones that make sense with the materials for the best. I think kind of like wedging in like songs that just don't feel like they belong. You know, that I think it's one of those things where it's like the audience wants to feel, you know, like their past experience with you matters or, you know, that's validated or, or even just simply hearing songs they already know. Um, but I, I think there's also a thing where like, you just don't want people to like lack dignity. I think when you see artists who, you know, they go out on tour and they've added maybe one or two new songs to their repertoire, that can feel a little sad, even if it's fun to see all the songs, you know, that's the thing that, that really breaks my heart um, is that I, I, I hate, I mean, I would feel like with Ockerville River, I always felt like whatever album I put out, and I, honestly, this is like part of why I did this as solo record, I think on some level, was so, so that I could tour it. I just like, every time I put out a record, I felt like, yeah, I had to reconcile like 12 new songs with like the stuff that I knew that people would feel cheated if they didn't hear. And the truth of the matter is, I hate to say it, dude, but like, some of those songs that people would feel cheated if they didn't hear, like I took no pleasure in playing, (laughs) no, like, yeah, like put them at the end of the set and people are having a good time and you know, they're going to work. And so there's a certain, there's a certain energy that like will carry you through doing this song that you've done like so many times that you've like squeezed every last bit of joy out of playing it. Um, But you do start to feel like a fraud. I really, you do, you do, you start to feel like you're playing the state fair or something like yeah. that. It, well, do you feel like you have the option to just kind of like, okay, you know, 
maybe some of those songs that are like the staples, you could just switch them out for like different songs from the same era that might feel better. Or do you feel like the audience is really invested on very specific songs? Well, I mean, there's no way of knowing what the audience is feeling too. Cause like I could play like some song, you know, whatever. And let <laughs> kicks and lost coastlines. Sorry. I could play like those songs and everybody could be like, Oh, I was hoping that you would play the Valley. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like I don't really know. Um, sorry. This is quite distracting. Um, just one second. Sorry. It's once upon a time I rode with a friend of mine Side by side on the conqueror's route We were set in our designs We were wasted on white wine And our fine satin jackets hung loose We triumphed and we lost But we knew it any cost there was treasure we claw our way to And we'd know by the gleam We had seen inside some dream It was beamed through our boyhood bedrooms When we were nothing For better or for worse, I'm, I've, I've turned him over to Beth to deal with. <laughs> um, I think that some of it, too, has to do with, like, the um, – you can lead the audience, too. So, like, you can decide, like, this song is going to be – this is going to be the new set closer. And, like, come with me. I'll show you how. You know what I mean? Like, I'll show you yeah. over – the course of this show and the next show and the next show and like the next tour, how like this is going to, you know, you, I know you liked this song as the set closer, but this song is also a really good set closer. Like you'll see. And in the process, I will, we'll teach ourselves how to make it a set closer. Cause it is a collaborative process between the audience and you, where you sort of like, and the song, I guess, where it's like, you're all teaching each other, like how to yeah. be, um, I mean, and the like short answer will also kind of announce where they belong, you know, pardon certain songs will kind of announce where they belong in the show too. That's true. That's true. Um, but you know, it's interesting because first songs and last songs, a, like a set, usually the best way to sequence a set is almost the exact opposite way of how do you sequence an album? A lot of the time <laughs> the album starts out with like the bangers, you know what I mean? And then you kind of like, you're like, now that you, have been reassured that like, you know, this is not a waste of your time. Yeah, let's keep let's get a little bit more nuanced and we'll, and we'll actually get into the stuff that like the more complicated stuff that we've been trying to work out on this. And then like, you know, we'll send, we'll send you off with like the, uh, the apotheosis or whatever. But when you, when you turn, when you do a live set, you switch it around where it's like, have you ever done one of those like full album shows? I have, yeah, yeah, I, I have. Um, what was that like for you? Because I, I, I've never actually had the chance to actually ask someone about that. Because well, it's interesting. That, that is the thing where, like, it seems, yeah, you, like the the whole dynamic of the set is is has a different gravity. 
It's interesting because I kind of think of like I'm a big fan of like making a collection of songs, obviously, like, but I also am mindful that the album is like a semi arbitrary format. You know, it just it really has to do with like the invention of the LP and like how many songs fit on an LP. You know, so a lot of people get really hung up on the concept of the album as if it was like handed down by Moses or something. It's like, no, it's really just like a it's a technical consideration and that we continue to stick with. I mean, there's no reason why you can't put out a 24 hour album on Spotify. My friend Ben Saratan did that. Um, so it's like. Uh, but I like the idea of a collection and I do feel like there's something magic about like over 45 minutes and you start to lose people. Um, so, so I like the idea of presenting something as a collection, but I also think that there is something kind of like fake about doing a live album show for that reason, because like the, the passive experience of sitting and like listening to an album or like putting it on in your car or like having it on in the background while you're cooking is not the, it wasn't tooled to be like a live experience. If you were going to be like, a live experience, you'd do it differently, you know? Yeah. I, I, as an audience member, I feel like it's better to have that moment of like, Oh, what are they going to play next? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, this, this is feels this... more in the moment, even, even if you have an idea of what they usually play, it's still good to have that little bit of like, Ooh, get that little bit of surprise when something is surprising. What gets deeper, I think into this thing of art, which is like, do you want art that that challenges you and makes you grow or do you want art that kind of like massages you down into the easy chair of nostalgic familiarity? And I think you can see it when you get outside of music, you see it in like TV shows where it's like how many fucking more shows about some peripheral Star Wars character are there going to be? These are all like these are all just like there to narcoticize. And I'm not saying like um I don't like it when people say like, this is art, you know, like this is your, this is true art. And like the implication is that like something else is an art because I just say, look, it's all art. I mean, like if you made it to be aesthetic, it's art. You could talk about whether it's good art or bad art or like honest or dishonest or whatever. But I do think that ultimately at the, like at the base of, of all of it, the stuff that really, makes you grow you know or makes you like breaks through you the, the haze or like is valuable spiritually in some way or stands the test of time or whatever you want to say it's like some element of the comforting soothing aesthetical things that you like and some element of something that's a little harder to take harder to take because it's newer or challenging or unsettling or, um, uh, you know, whatever it is, but you're, you're, you're doing some, comp, some, um, some amount of like something to get the butts in the seats and then something to like make people genuinely feel. And when you're making something that is just intended to sort of like soothe people and give them something that they already thought they wanted, like without anything to challenge that at all, that's when you're that's when maybe art is doing something bad um i don't mean bad in like a uh, or is lazy you know I guess. yeah well i mean i feel I, like you know you're talking about a laziness on the audience a laziness on i mean 
I guess it's kind of like a lot of things are just there to kind of, you know, just be there to entertain you, to kind of keep you through things. And like, there's obviously a value in that. I think um, like one, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot in the past few years is just the utility of music and how so much of things now is geared towards music having specific utility. Yeah, the DSPs like really really emphasizes that yeah. because the people like look at music, like kids look at music, as be like, okay, this is something I can use to express myself, an idea, uh, something about myself. You know, you know, so you're looking for songs that say something very clearly. Like I think lyrics for popular music across the board in the past 10, 15 years have just become like extraordinarily literal. Mm -hmm. To the point where, like, finding young artists who deal in abstraction is seems miraculous. Hmm. I hadn't noticed that. Why do you think that is? I think it is because of that utility. I think it's also just people being reinforced by growing up on music that is not tremendously. I'm sorry, that is very literal. You know, um, this music that is there to kind of to say exactly what you feel and what you mean in on no uncertain terms, no ambiguity. Yeah. This is just it. Um, I think that the music that has, I mean, I think about this. I mean, I guess you're maybe slightly older than me. So our, our childhoods are relatively similar that it's like, there was not music for teenagers when I was a teenager. <laughs> there was music that was like marketed towards teenagers, but it was also marketed to people in their twenties and thirties. Mm. It was just like and anything that was made for kids, like, you know, in the eighties and nineties was kind of lame. You'd be like, Oh, this sucks. No, thank you. Um, but I think at, certainly by the end of the nineties and into the aughts and certainly through the tens, there's this whole industry around music made for kids and for teenagers. And yeah, you know, I think we're now dealing with uh, a world where that is the formative influence for most people. And I don't know, I'm not even sure if that's really like a dystopian thing or something. It's just like the fact of the matter. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny hearing you say this because I feel like it's the, the classic like critic versus the the critical apparatus, which is like taking something apart afterwards and understanding what it means versus like the creative um, impulse, which is like making something from nothing. And I'm never, it is such like an alien concept for me to like think about the audience when I start doing something. Uh, I just yeah, thinking I, I, I honestly think a lot of things now, the audience is very much forefront in the creation process. Yeah. And Certainly I, on the pop end. Yeah. I feel like just like anything, it's like like Phil Spector. It's like you can make great art coming from that standpoint. Um, it, it happens, but but we we kind of fixate on the exceptions that prove the rule, you know, which he would be an example of. It's much more a recipe for hackery, you know, like and that's the thing about like you see it with like Netflix and you see it with like Spotify. Um, we were talking about this before you started taping, but like they have these playlists that are like relax and study and people don't even really think about what's on them, which is great for Spotify because they can sneak some like, <laughs> you know, like if you look at like a uh, relaxing jazz playlist on Spotify, you'll be like, who the fuck are these people? I've never heard of these artists before. Well, you know, it's like some guy in Stockholm, like just cranking out music and he's got some back alley deal with spotify where he's like not getting very much money for it but he's getting playlist placements and they don't have to pay as much money for it so it's like this really 
vile thing of like, you know, I, as I was saying to you before we started taping of like putting sawdust in your hamburger meat or something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I, that I that makes me really like, sad. The playlist making perspective. And there's definitely times where it's like, man, I wish I had like a few things to kind of fill out this space. Like you're almost like thinking of it in terms of a composition. It's like, ah, oh, there's, there's, there's needs to be some connective thread. And I'm sure that's part of it for them where it's like, not just that you just have the sawdust, but like the sawdust is, you know, a bit of filler that's like connecting some thread or just kind of filling it out just so you reach a certain like, okay, it is now two hours long. That is, that is the goal for our length. We have determined that this is the ideal length to yeah. our, uh, our, our data has shown. <laughs> you know, when you're watching this is maybe this is like too far out of a metaphor, but when you're watching like a sitcom, you like, let's say you sit down and you watch like seven seasons of 30 rock or whatever. And you, you watch the first season and you're like, oh, they haven't really quite found their formula yet. And then you watch the second season and you're like, oh, it's really humming along. This is great. And and you know, like there's like an A plot and there's like a B plot where the other character, some ancillary character goes off and does something. But like, and there's maybe even a C plot. But when like, when, when this show is really humming, you don't really notice those things. It feels like it's all kind of embroidered into this thing. And then you get to season six where it's getting a little hacky and those are the moments where like the B plot starts to feel really arbitrary where you're like, Oh, the main character is doing this thing. And meanwhile, some other character is doing some other thing, which isn't as funny and has nothing to do with the main part of it. And the themes aren't the same. You have these actors and you have to use them. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's, that's, that's true with a lot of art and composition is like you're, um, you are, like crossing a stream you're trying to like hop from rock to rock and you, and a lot of the time you're thinking like okay how do i get i'm here at a and i need to get to c so like where is b you know and really great art the b there it doesn't feel like a b c it feels like it's a long stream and you just take this path and it's all threaded through and it's it's unified and whole and hacky art it just goes by numbers and, um, you know, you can make hacky art because all you care about is is the what the algorithm told you. You can also make hacky art if you're a really, really awesome artist and you just like literally don't know how to solve a problem. And eventually you just do the best you can at that moment. And turns out it wasn't one of your best songs, even though maybe at the time you thought it was or something like that. But I, I do think that that's a, a real difference is like, those moments you know like it's it really comes down to like full and complete and total presence you know like when something is really firing it's like it's very present and it can be like nakedly aggressively commercial and still be hair-raisingly artistic it's just a lot harder for for that to exist i think kind of go back a couple steps where i was talking about the um you know, basically people writing lyrics to be relatable and they're and you've written a lot of things without necessarily trying to, that people have related to a lot and there is one thing that you were saying in an interview uh that uh, my friend aaron vanderhoof did with you at Advanced oh, yeah, Fair, right? that that stuck great. out to me yeah but you're essentially saying that like, you have like this music that's quite angry that and you just started feeling that that some of the audience just wanted you to remain in that like almost for their own benefit. Yeah. And I was, I'm just curious about like the feeling of like, you know, where you're like 
a surrogate for other people's worst feelings. And, you know, which I think, you know, it's obvious why people would want that. But then this is a thing that you have to live with both like during and after. So, you know, where are you with that now? Yeah. I mean, like this, is it's hard to get into this without um, it starting to sound like something more suitable for therapy, but like, you know, I, um, I grew up, I had a, I had a idyllic childhood in certain ways and in other ways, for whatever reason, for me, it was real, it was hard. Um, I think cause I was like really, really sickly. <laughs> it was like, I was like the default, the, the faulty child, you know, <laughs> like I almost died multiple times. And like in the process of that, I grew up weird. And you, you know, when you see a kid and you're like, something's weird with that kid. And there's, there's almost like a, um, there's almost like a primal thing of like evolution should weed that child out. Like I, he's making me uncomfortable. <laughs> I was that. And I, and I, I didn't know if I knew if I could articulate it like that, but I think that's what people felt when they looked at me, including adults. Um, and they reacted appropriately. And I think maybe I knew that maybe I shouldn't exist or something like that. Um, and so I had a lot of anger about the way I got treated as a result. And I, and a lot of anger of feeling like I was like not wanted and like not, you know, um, not, uh, I got a little distracted by the dog. Sorry. I think a lot of, um, like, like, fuck you. Like I'm, I'm, I'm worth something. God damn it. (laughs) You know what I mean? At the same time as I was ingesting all of this, like art, artists lives and artwork and i felt closer to like dylan thomas like than i did to you know anybody at my high school <laughs> that's not true i had friends who went and i started a band with two of them but but i felt very deeply connected with like people like that which is really pretentious i know it sounds really bad but it's it's true unfortunately um so you know i think that that and th- and this again this is not so unique i mean like look at like all the artists out there who like, Oh, some shitty thing happened or they, they lost their mom when they were really young or like they had some horrible experience of deprivation. And like, they were like, it was the fuel that, that burned for them. <laughs> they were like, I'm going to use this. God damn it. You will know my name, you know? Yeah. Um, and all or sometimes it's just kind of a free floating anger, you know, like that yeah. was a specific um, like story. And I think I was, and it was very male too. I'll be honest, man. And I think I was yeah. able to, I think I was able to alchemize it luckily into uh, art that had, it had that aggressive anger, it had that really like whatever. Um, and, um, and thank God it, it really, it, it resonated with people. And, and some of it was bad. Some of it was bad. Like, like there's a song Westfall that we have that is like my attempt to write like a murder ballad. But a lot of what came away from it was there's like two, women who get killed in it or at least one um who gets murdered by the protagonist and a lot of what i got you know i had so many guys being like play the song about murdering the bitch you know like that and that that happened to me pretty early on and so i was like fuck wow i guess i i guess i did something really wrong um and that's why i don't play that song anymore um but but also i think a lot of it even the most vile messed up parts of it. It wasn't so much about this, but um, 
dude, man, some of it is like, oh, you were a boy who grew up and you felt like you deserved more. Like sounds like a familiar story uh, that we've gotten really, really familiar with now. It was almost like a, almost like an incel energy to it. And I think it's a maybe my greatest testament to myself that like the music didn't wasn't wasn't like icky like that. I, I mean, maybe sometimes, but like, but I tried to like be honest about. I tried to like also as I got more self aware to be like, um, you know, this is full of this like this icky anger and rage and deprivation and 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 ambition and all of this stuff. And I think it it was really helpful for a lot of people, men and women actually. Like I think that women heard something they recognized and men heard something they recognized and it was like nice to have it out there. It was like cathartic. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it was really that icky and gross other than that Westfall thing and some other stuff, but mostly I felt like it was yeah. pretty good. But like at a certain point you're like, God damn, like I don't want to be like angry and hateful. I remember, I, I just remember this point where I was like broadening my horizons in terms of the music I was listening to. And I was like listening to all this music I hadn't really thought about much before. And I just had this vision of like all rock, all like that, that energy of like punk rock, like, like dudes in a, in a punk rock band, like yelling and screaming and like the electric guitars and like fast and loud and up to 11. And I was just like, Ugh. <laughs> like it's like there's no like sensuality there's no like reverence there's no like meditative calm there's no like pleasure there's no humor there's no like it is just this like adolescent thing and god i'm gonna die if i keep playing music like this and so bit by bit i started to be like, I want to get away from, you know, I want to get away from strictly feeling like I have to partake in this energy. And I think that, um, I think that not everybody has perceived that that was what I was trying to do. And I think a lot of people who like really needed that articulation of like anger and the scariness and the willingness to like for them to make the music hurt a little bit. Um, I think that they felt like some, there was some slackening. Eventually, 
But God, there, dude, there, there's some. I don't like Quentin Tarantino very much. I mean, I, I think he's really talented, but I don't like his movies very much. But there was, I remember reading some quote from him because he said something like, "I'm only going to make ten movies," and then he said this thing like, "Every director ends up making like some limp dick movie." You know, and I, or he, mm. he he said something that was like had to do with like a hard on, and yeah. I was like, that. as he's wont to do, a very a very very macho kind of guy. Yeah, like that, like a macho is, nerd. A macho nerd is always a very awkward energy. Like I don't want my music to be like a dick fucking people. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, like I want like I want it, and 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 similarly, like somebody said this thing to me where they were like, "You need to write a bulletproof single." And I like turned that over in my head and I was like, I don't want my music to be a fucking tank crashing into town and like knocking it all over all the buildings. Is with the bullets bouncing there that you, you head before and you had to regain it? Or is it that was like to get to the next level, you need that bulletproof single? Um, yeah, that was something that somebody was saying, like, you know, uh, somebody in music business in the on the business end of things was saying to me, like from a positioning standpoint. And I was just thinking about how bulletproof is like so the wrong word for every anything that I want or like. You know what I mean? Like, like if anything, I want my music to be like opening your shirt and bearing your chest yeah. to the to the um, to the gun. You yeah, know what or, I mean? Because you're already riddled with bullets. That's the or the, like the, to <laughs> to be off color and and go against Quentin Tarantino. I'd rather like have art that feels like it could be fucked than it feels like mm. it's trying to fuck. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. It's really uh, maybe that's a little bit rude comment I mean, to say. And, 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 but, like, I mean, I in either that. case, you're you're coming from a place of vulnerability, and you're in the idea of like you know, and it's not really necessarily what they mean by bulletproof. They just mean like we need something that is undeniable, you know. Um, yeah, but like I, 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 I mean, a person in the music industry should also understand that like what that means at any given moment completely changes depending on the whims of so many things outside of you. Well, it's just the implication of that idea when you something that can't be denied, you know, like, I, I guess I just, I think about like, when I think about what I want out of art, it's like this, it's the hairs on your arm standing up. Like, like, it's not like an argument that can't be refuted. You know what I mean? Or it's not yeah. like, um, like being beaten into submission by like, Michael Bay, like Sound and Fury, you know what I mean? Where I'm like, I mean, don't get me wrong, dude. Like, I I love to go see like a rock band kick ass, or like go see a blockbuster that knocks me on my ass. It's fun. It's rapturous. It's really cool. But like, for me personally, my experience of art is like it's like the wind in the trees. It's like you blink and you're gonna miss it. And 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 a little bit of it is like, hey, did you guys hear what I heard? You know, but it's like a very quiet, um, subtle thing that like gets under your skin. And I really like when art is like risking losing people or risking boring people or risking being misinterpreted um, or risking like showing its ass. You know what I mean? Like, like to me, that is the stuff that's like really crackling with life. Um, and so that... Um, that sort I think maybe that's a little bit of it too. And and you even see it with like the way that we have played live where it's like, we used to be like a steamroller. You know, I used to say to the the band, like, I want it to feel like 
you know, I could break every string on my guitar and it wouldn't, you wouldn't even notice because the music is just keeping going. Like it, no matter what, like don't stop playing. You know what I mean? Like we, yeah. we kind of thought about it in terms of, we didn't sound like James Brown, but we thought about it in terms of like James Brown's band where it's like, it's just like a juggernaut. Right. And yeah, again, again, similarly at a certain point, I started thinking about the music that I grew up with. You know, I was a weird kid. I liked like Indian classical music. I liked like Celtic um, folk music. You know, all of that stuff was like, vaporous and exploratory and like open-ended and could kind of like search and seek and find different parts of your brain and, you know, and stuff like that. So when I started to think about, you know, jazz or about like that music again, um, versus like a pop machine or, or like a punk rock, like we're going to fucking knock your house down. Um, as I got sort of, deeper into it that that would became a model that i was more interested in emulating did you feel like getting away from that like that steamroller version of the band also kind of coincided with uh you know not having to prove yourself all the time like because that it seemed like that was kind of the energy when you're coming up and it makes sense to kind of you know kind of present yourself in that way as you're you know you're still in your 20s you're you're just trying to get people to care yeah, maybe, maybe so. Maybe that's true. Um, and maybe, uh, yeah, I think maybe that has something to do with it. Um, and then at a certain point you're like, so much of what I'm talking about has to do with like my outward experience of like my attempt to present what the work that I'm doing and like my inward experience of trying to be a human being. Yeah. And I guess you part feel, of what you it feel is like you have strong self-knowledge of like who you are and what you want to do, like through, through all the career. Yeah, I, I think so. Maybe. Yeah. But I think that like, um, I think that when I was at my most, um, like barnstorming and like, you know, I'm like gonna, I'm the, um, I'm the, the conquering general, you know what I mean? Like, I think that was when I was at my most unpleasant. I would just, I remember like, maybe not remember, but um, I feel like um, I could, uh, sorry, I got distracted by something. I, 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 there's like tours that I think back on and I'm like, I can't remember like the name of anybody in the band that did that whole tour with us. You know, like every night we had an opening band and, and I don't think I ever saw their show and I don't think I knew anybody's name because it was like all me, me and my ambition and my problems and what I deserve and what I want. What was your relationship no. with the other bandmates at that point? Was, oh, it was, it was great. Kind of- it was always, okay. it was great. It was great. Um, we, we were like a gang. So it was like, but like, you know. So I guess it was like I, I asked like that me and my I, I just recently listened to an interview with Tom York that was probably I don't know like five years ago something like that, and he was talking about um, like that whole period of the '90s, like from basically from when they dropped Creep up through like just before OK Computer, and he had to actually like at a point apologize to his entire band for being such a nightmare the whole time. <laughs> That's amazing. Just, like, I'm glad he said that. 
And just because he was living in this constant fear of fucking everything up, that everything yeah. had, you know, if, if, if one false move and the whole deck of cards falls, you know. And I, I feel like that's something I imagine a lot of people do. And maybe he was probably more nightmarish than others because he just seems like a very, very uptight man. But yeah, yeah I mean, it does seem like uh, that anxiety, especially when you're the person like who's the primary author, you know. You know, this is a weird thing. I've never said this to anybody, but I remember one time I had to, I think about this all the time. So I'm surprised I've never mentioned it, I guess, because maybe it might not make sense as a story. But a friend of mine, one time when I was much younger, he, his sister was in like a domestic abuse situation. And I remember that um, we had to go, she like, she like ran out of the house and was staying somewhere safe. And we had to go like over to the house that she had with her boyfriend and like get some of her shit for her. And we went over there and there was a fucking four track set up and all these mics and guitars out. And like, he was clearly in the middle of making his fucking magnum opus. And that really stuck with me. (laughs) (laughs) That thing of like, I guess what I got from that, and maybe it's a projection is like the way that this, this very male thing of like, the important artist is working, you know, everything must be justified so that the artist can do his important work. And I really, um, I don't know. I I really determined and I had already had this idea, but I, I really determined like I will have failed if I end up being that guy. Like if at the end of the day, I end up being, a lesser artist, a footnote, an unknown artist, but like uh, people would say that I'm like a nice guy who like was helpful and like, you know, I, I didn't contribute too much to the sum total of suffering. And like, I, in fact, like eased my share of suffering, you know, at the very minimum, um, that is really who I want to be. And like, I don't want to be Phil Spector. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you take it to the, the, you know, even like when you see, read all the drips and drabs of stuff about R. Kelly and he's like, you know, he repeatedly says stuff like we don't have to live by the same rules that they do. I think that that's like a, that's like where that heroic um, masculine vision of the artist ends up if you're not careful. Um, and I think that I, uh, for me, it was always this thing of like, do I want it? And, and, you know, like, I feel like this is going to sound really super high minded, but like, it's a betrayal of the work. If you're a fucking dick, you know, like if, um, if I'm like listening to Van Morrison and I'm like, this is so beautiful and spiritual and wise, and it's like really helping me. And it's really with me at my most, like, deepest core moments of my life. And then I like find out how much of an asshole Van Morrison is and how everybody (laughs) hates him because he's such a dickhead. It's like, he's he's kind of like betraying the work and it, it tarnishes the work, man. I'm not saying that like artists have to be like saints, not at all. And I'm also not saying we should like look up to artists. Like, like it kind of makes me roll my eyes when people yeah. tell some well, story. I, mean, like, I think what you're saying is basically when people take the, you know, the quality of their work as an excuse to behave terribly. 
Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I it may, maybe it feels like I'm being a little bit like modish and talking about like the concerns of the moment, but, um, but I, I really think it's like insanely widespread and it goes to this, like this weird, like narcissistic thing that has to do with like celebrity and media and like our, our inability to like allow ourselves to like feel things and feel pain and like this weird need that we have to like use entertainment to like paper over like fear and anxiety. And it's like, it's all this like just machine that's like eating the soul of the world (laughs) and has been for like 200 years or, you know, 500,000 years. And like, I can't avoid like participating in it because like, that's the way that the world is set up now is that we're all just like doing our shitty little part to like make it worse. But like, because I work in like the soul, the area of like the soul and the, the aesthetics and like beauty and ostensibly my job that I get paid for is to like make beauty, beauty and pretty things and nice things. Like I have to take that seriously. God, it sounds really, really (laughs) grandiose and i'm sorry but that, that, I know, I that's what gets but, but it also seems like a lot of what you're doing on nothing special in particular is trying to like you know step back from that kind of ego you know or just to yeah. or reframe how you process these things yeah and, and that was like a really necessary act of self-preservation i mean honestly it really it really feels like um and it also feels like 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 ceremonially like like I, it's like it's like my, the offering, you know. Like you go to the altar and you're like, "Here, I'm gonna put this on the on the altar so that like we'll have a good harvest." You know, like I had to like put my my big bloated ego like on the altar a little bit with the hopes that like I can make some good art after. Like, it it, it is like, funny that you know you're you're kind of stepping with ego while doing a record with your own name. Like you're out front now. Yeah, I know, I know. A little irony to that. Well, there's there's multiple. Um, oh, sorry. Um, there's multiple ironies because there's also um, there's also the irony of the fact that I'm talking to you to promote this record. I mean, that's like the that's that's the most messed up part of all of this is that like you know I do this album about like you know sort of an attempt to be humble and it really is a genuine thing, but then I have to like market it. And, and yeah, as well, I was you, saying, you do not like, have the purity of Jandek. Yeah. 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 And I, I actually envy the purity of Jandek or like Emily Dickinson or like, you know, um, this writer, Chris Wiseman that I really like, who just like doesn't tour, you know, and doesn't put stuff on DSPs. He just is all on Bandcamp. I love that. But I, I guess I'm like not I'm not that pure. I don't know if pure is the right word even really. Well, but. I mean you want I mean, you want people to engage, which is, you know, I guess like I think you can beat yourself up over that, you know, but I think ultimately like writing, art, all of this is a communicative medium, whether you're communicating something extremely literal or something totally abstract, you know. So for the communication to be effective, it has to be, you know out there so yeah i mean i do want people to to hear the work and also like i'm really very much want to stress that i'm not there's a danger with something like this that you cast yourself as like this enlightened being too you know what i mean like like oh i'm above it all you know like i'm i'm this uh 
the spiritual enlightened guy and I'm so humble and like, be like me. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just that like in your work, you have the opportunity to try to put forward the best version of yourself and like the best dream, the best version of the dream that yeah. you have of what you want to see. And so you can like take, you have the, the time to take out the, the parts that are bad. And like, oftentimes I feel like the work represents like the best part um, of, of who the artist is. You know, people think the artist is like the, the work is the tip of the iceberg and the artist is like the, the awesome mother load. If I just get to know, if I can just hang out with Joni Mitchell, it's going to yeah. be like, I think, I think that's real Bob Dylan fan mindset. Yeah. It's just going to be like mainlining the good stuff, you know, like, and at a certain point, it's like, this is, you know, what if I, it becomes like almost messianic, you know, like I just want a lock of, of Bob Dylan's hair would be more valuable than owning blonde on blonde on vinyl or something. <laughs> um, but like, what if Bob Dylan's records are better than Bob Dylan? You know, like he had more time to work on them. He had more time to like make them right, make, say, say the, what he wanted to say. Yeah. You know, like I, I think especially when like you have this monomaniacal focus in life, it, like it, invariably other parts of your life, you know, you get way underdeveloped. I think that's true of most people, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the other thing, too, is like, you know, it's terrifying when you think about like a, a Bob Dylan, like somebody who has been that famous for their whole life. You yeah, know, since, like, he, since he was like what twenty one or twenty two, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's just like it's a, it's a fucked up thing to have to happen to you, you know. Like it's definitely st stunting. I'm not to like not to speculate about Bob Dylan's personality, but like, you know, when I look at like a Billie Eilish or something, I'm like, oh, so I love her music and she seems really cool, and I'm like really happy and rooting for her. But like on this other level, I'm like, it's a really fucked up thing to do to a young person to like put yeah. themselves, put them into that kind of an echo chamber that like, I don't think anyone can really, I mean, when you look at all this, the, the spiritual leaders who couldn't hack it, you know what I mean? Like all the, like every, pretty much every Buddhist who came to the West and like spread Buddhism. They all have fucking sex scandals, like all this crazy shit, you know, like if those guys can't hack it, if they can't hack fame, then like, how is a 19 year old supposed to, you know? Um, I mean, also fame, it can be so many different things. Now it can be like, you're just popular on the internet and that can warp you. You know, there's this all these different ways that people can experience this that is beyond like you have made like profound art. The cloud girl blazes in the gale of laughter. I see her face and feel my heart beat faster. We steal a spaceship till we make it to the moon. I wake up angry on an earth still burning. Her eyes and hazy weather leaves stop turning. Her idle breathing dissipates all through. Destiny's dream wearing thin Love
question that I think is kind of related to this, but I, I want to kind of uh, kind of focus on where you are uh, with nothing special. And, um, you know, I, I think you're in, in a lot of ways, just like, you know, looking at past ambition and feeling, well, that's not me anymore. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, as you are right now, as you kind of look uh, ahead in your life and your career as a songwriter, like what, what's the ambition now? Like what becomes like something that you want to work towards? Man, I don't know if I know how to answer that question. Um, I think that um, I think that the most exciting thing for me is that this this first solo album opens a door, and I was I didn't conceive of this as a solo album, but I didn't conceive of it as an Ockerville River album. You know, unlike with Away, which was like conceived as a solo album and then got shoehorned into an Ockerville river thing. I just wasn't thinking it's like what I was said about um, how I didn't have any influences for it. You know, like obviously I always have influences and I'm always thinking about music that I like, but like, I didn't have this, like I want to make a record like X plus Y equals Z. You know what I mean? Like there was no pitch. Just, yeah, exactly. There was no pitch to anybody, including myself. I just had that thing where I was like, picture a mountain, <laughs> um, which was like, not even the motivating thing it was like the best I could do, you know? Um, so I, but I feel like what this, now that I have this as like the first Will Chef album, I feel like there's the ability to be, I'm looking forward to the ability to incorporate whatever I want to incorporate. And I'm looking forward to having at least a breathing room of a couple albums, a few albums before 
the same old guy says like, this is not a Will Chef album. A Will Chef album does this, you know what I mean? Being able to do something completely, completely different the next time or, or being able to do the exact same thing again and again and again, like being able to have a carte blanche to do aesthetically what feels like a genuine emanation of where I am without having to tailor it to anyone's expectations. And And that that seems to be the beauty of being a solo artist is that you really, I think also just like in terms of who you work with, who who you want to play on your record, like all these things become variables that that people do not have expectations of. Whereas, you know, people with, with, with a name, like there's something that implies a brand, as you said before, and a brand implies brand values. Yes, exactly. And, and, you know, I even considered, I was a little bit wondering, I kind of, I was a little scared about calling it Will Chef because I always liked how David Bowie was really David Robert Jones. Like he never changed his name. So he was able to brandify himself and then walk away from it. And so by being like Will Chef, I'm a little scared. And if you look at that, like Elton John literally changed his name from Reginald Dwight to Elton Hercules John. So it was like the opposite. I love Elton John too, but it, that's like the that's did the you nightmare did you scenario. consider Will Hercules Chef? <laughs> kind of that find would be that really amazing. That would be great. Like an in joke yeah. that not many people would get, but it would be cool. Um, yeah, I, but I do think that um, that this is a it, it is an opportunity maybe to to be freed from some of those things, and and also you know in the past those, nobody was holding me in a prison and making me feel like I had to respond to some old album I'd made. It was like something that I had created myself out of my own ego. And so I feel like I understand now better how to not get lost in that world. It's not, not to say that like I was doing an interview the other day and the guy was like, he was, he was like, so would you say that you had like a long dark night of the soul? And now that you're, now you're like a, you're happy and you've like, you achieved some, um, like you understand it all. You know, he basically wanted me to say that I'd achieved some kind of enlightened state or something. And it's like, you want so badly to tell them yes. Cause like it's an interviewer and that's what they're like. They're leading you to say that. And it's like, that feels like the story that you should say. Yeah. But it's just, it's just, it just made me think of um, uh, when, when John Lennon uh, did uh, God. God is the one where it's like, I don't believe in Beatles, you know. Yeah. Like to have, like, God, people go crazy for that kind of thing now. Or it's like, yes, yes, you've given me the perfect narrative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it's like cut to like six months later and he's like listening to like some early single 45s that he has in, with Yoko. And he's like, yeah, we were pretty good, you know, like. I should give Paul a call, you know, like you, you present records are not an attempt to present yourself to the outside world. I, I mean, like not for me, I, I think maybe sometimes they are for other people or, or, and have been maybe for me at times or something. But to me, it's just like, you're trying to, you're trying to like, to the best of your ability, using everything that you have, all your sincerity and all your craft, you're trying to like free, you're, you're trying to articulate what means the most to you and you change over time. And so they get frozen in Amber. So like, you know, 
the silver gymnasium is like me explaining what means the most to me in 2013. And so like, eventually you, you know, you're like, ugh, I can't believe that meant anything to me. And then like 10, 15 years pass and you're like, oh, that kid who was so worked up about this stuff. Like, I hope I love that guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> you get a little bit of distance from it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, to me, I guess I, I don't necessarily feel that's the weirdest part, dude. I don't feel that ambitious. And there's this part of me that's like, maybe it's the yeah. secretly ambitious part of me. That's like, it's bad that you don't feel ambitious. You should feel yeah. ambitious. You know, I, 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 it occurred to me like after you were, you were trying to answer it, like I should have phrased it as like, what's important to you? Yeah, I think what's I important think that, to me is that, that's different because ambition kind of implies a, a more narrative, th- a more a ner- more narrow thing, whereas important is really just like what what do you value? Yeah, I think it's like um, it's uh, it's just trying. It's, this is the most generic question ever, but it's like tr- I just really want to make the most beautiful music that I can. You know, like I just really want to, and I want it to, to not feel labored. You know, I I don't want it to, I want it to feel like I want to get in. I want to feel like I'm conversing with the spirit, you know, Uh, like I want to feel like I'm really, um, I'm offering a product. Yeah, maybe. Maybe maybe within the music, I want there to be a certain amount of grace. Yeah. I mean, which isn't to say I'm walking around in a state of grace all the time. <laughs> that, would from be, that would be very impressive. I feel like your life would actually be changed very quickly if that was the case. No, and I'm very resistant to like grace yeah. as, as are most people, you know, but like, I think that I want the, um, I think I want the music to just feel right. That was the thing that, that, that to me is like, it's so annoying as a word because it just says nothing. But like, to me, that's what it is, is like, it should feel right. You know, like, um, like you shouldn't have to ask yourself if it, if it's working, you know? Yeah. So so Will, this has been, it's been a real joy to talk to you. When does nothing special come out? Comes out on the, uh, people get it. I'm sorry. Comes out on the, uh, the, 7th of October, the 7th or the 8th. I can't remember. It's this, I think it's the 7th, whatever the Friday is. I miss back when it would be like, well, that's the international date and like would be the day apart because like would be England would be a day before they'd get them on, on Monday. I don't know why they started doing it on the week on Friday. I feel like that's a real, that's a it, bummer for me. Personally. I, th- I think it's, a, there's a lot of reasons for it, but one of them was just like, it's a, it's also a, it's a unified worldwide release date. Yeah. Um, that's the biggest sure, reason. Why not? But um, yeah, yeah. And are, 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 do you have tour dates announced yet? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're going on a a whole like um, tour of like the Midwest, the South, the ca- Canada, the Northeast, and that kicks off in like early November. It's basically all throughout the first three weeks of November. We're going to be all around, and then we're going to tackle like the West Coast in twenty twenty three. What kind Full of band, band do you have with you? Is it like is it? I'm putting it together right now, of- man. Awesome. It's not going to be solo stuff, though. It's not going to be like me with an acoustic guitar. It's going to be like full a full band playing these songs in a similar vibe to how they were on the album. Cool. 
and yeah, and really you know I will important. be doing other stuff. I don't want to get you, <laughs> we talked about it. I'm still figuring out what other stuff, but there'll be other TBD, stuff. TBD, yeah. Like it, you know, it might be different every show. Who knows? We'll find out. It could be, yeah. Well, well, thank you so much. Uh, good luck with this record. It's very good. Thank you, man. I appreciate it, Matthew. Thanks a lot for taking the time. I get this wired and transcendent opened up edge. I want to seek that higher ground. I'm coming down fast. I'm coming down now. Just calm down. I saw the air, the skies, the freezing free skies up there so high just now. Center it never dance Coming down in a cosmic avalanche Right on top of me I'm killed instantly At the height of the Christmas season 